Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pilgrim Devotion. I'm your host, Pastor Michael Howard, the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church, and this is a podcast for anyone inside or outside of Seaford Baptist Church who is living the pilgrim life, representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. And we are glad to be back after a little bit of a hiatus a little bit of some weird stuff going on in our podcast feed. Uh, two weeks ago, I had the Pride and Humility episode, which for some reason Spotify did not post. The episode I put up last week when I was sick, that did post to Spotify. That's good. That means we don't have a long-term Spotify problem, but... For Spotify users, the Pride and Humility episode is still gone. It has still disappeared somewhere into the internet world. So it's in the matrix. So it's, it's gone. And uh, if you want to listen to it, you got to go to Podbean. I don't know what happened. I still don't know what happened. That's beyond my pay grade. Uh, it's beyond my my technical abilities. So yeah, no, no, uh, no explanation, but we... Seem to be okay now because last week's little four-minute episode that I put up, it did post. And in that episode, I was explaining to you that I was sick. I had the flu last week. It was rough. Um, still trying to getting it out. So if any wild noises come out of me during this podcast, I apologize. Uh, I might have to clear my throat or something because uh, I'm still kind of getting all this stuff out of me. My body's still recovering. Uh, yesterday, I you know it was a full week since this thing really kicked off and got going, and I was super tired yesterday. It was the first day I was fully back in the office at the church. Preaching Sunday, boy, our church had to sit through me preaching through like I had this like really gravelly voice. It was a struggle. There were a couple times that I thought I was going to lose it and my voice was going to give out on me. So it's been a long ride, man. Um, you know, you forget what the flu is like till you have it. And, and maybe next year I'll be a little more motivated to get the flu shot, I guess, because it was rough. It was definitely rough. Thankfully, it only touched the men in my household, so it was me and my, my sons, my two sons that got it. Uh, my wife and my daughter, they were exempt. The, the, it, it passed by them. It passed over them, if you will. So, uh, But glad to be on the mend and glad to be back here on the podcast today. And we are going to talk a little eschatology today, talk a little end times in particular. We're going to be comparing amillennialism and postmillennialism. And the reason that I want to do that is because a movie trailer came out last week for this new documentary about post-millennial eschatology and those that believe it. It's called Honor the Sun. This is like the opposite of the God and Country trailer that we talked about uh, back before Christmas. That thing came out this past weekend. That's my understanding, God and Country. That documentary dropped this past weekend on like 85 screens and made like $40,000 opening weekend. Yeesh. Uh, good luck with all that. I mean, and, and I can't, I'm not going to act like I'm disappointed in it. Um, I'm not. I, I, I thought that it was a documentary that, that looked as if it was going to lack a lot of nuance. And if you are a person that wants any level of Christian influence on culture and government, you're just going to get called a Christian nationalist by the folks who made this thing. That's the way it felt. Just, uh, just watching the trailer. Uh, am I going to watch the actual documentary and see what it's all about? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'll check it out. Uh, but it did not open. to. Maybe they're going to have a bigger opening, and maybe it will make more money. But 85 screens, $40,000, that's a rough start. This Honor the Sun would be kind of the opposite of that. Uh, this These folks are uh, that are in this trailer, they are post-millennialists. I think a lot of them 
uh, would probably classify themselves, maybe not all, but I think many of them would classify themselves as theonomists. And uh, when we talk about post-millennialism, just a reminder, we're talking about this view of eschatology where you believe that the gospel will spread throughout the earth, that Christian belief will spread throughout the earth, and that it will not just transform individual hearts, but that it will transform cultures and governments, and that as it spreads throughout the earth, it will usher in this sort of prosperous Christian golden age in the world, and that's really what the millennium is. And then after that, that's when Jesus is going to return, thus post-millennialism. So you can see why these folks are going to be very motivated to want to go out and make culture, to want to go out and see Christian uh, governments become Christianized. And, uh, and, and so in this trailer that I'm about to play, you have a lot of post-millennial voices that are talking uh, people like Doug Wilson. So let me go ahead and play it and explain to you why I find the trailer to be problematic, uh, some things that are said in it, and I want to respond to it as someone who holds to amillennialism. So here we go. Theocracy. It isn't a word you often hear in American politics these days. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. A king is a political power. A lord is a political power. And Jesus is the one to whom they're all accounted to either bow in submission to him or perish under his righteous scepter. Christ was crucified in public. Everything about Christianity is public. It's, it's meant to be out there in the world influencing things. Every sphere of life ought to acknowledge the kingship of Christ. If Jesus is Lord, he's Lord of all of life. What do you mean by the gospel? Because to me, the gospel means the rule, the reign, the kingship, the redemptive purposes of God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is reconciling all things to himself. America has a Lord. Jesus is his name, and he was born 2,000 years ago. So in your version of a Christian town, would there be a place for non-believers? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Would yeah. there be a place for same-sex couples? But uh, you mean legally? Yes. You, you mean like uh, marriage? Mm -hmm. uh, no, no marriage. But there'd be uh, same-sex couples. No marriage even though it's the law of the land in the United States? Uh, just like Roe used to be, right? If you're not post mill if you're not optimistic about the future, and you look at the church disintegrating into faithlessness, you think, well, we're right on schedule, right? So if I have a very negative perspective uh, about God's work in history, then um, I'm going to have a relatively negative view of what can be accomplished culturally and politically. What is called post-millennialism today, which I embrace, is fundamental. And it's more fundamental than some of these other questions. Christians who embrace that post-millennial view and embrace it consistently live very different kinds of Christian lives. In fact, I would go so far as to say that post-millennialists embrace a different kind of Christianity than most non-post-millennialists. Okay, so that's it. That's the Honor of the Sun trailer, a film by Nathan Anderson. Uh, 
it's interesting. I mean, I, again, I don't know if I'll see it, kind of like God and Country. You don't have but so much time to watch, but so many things, right? So I don't know if I'll see it. But, you know, this got shared with me in a text thread I'm in with some pastor friends, some good friends of mine. And we all had an issue. We all, we all took a level of offense at, at what was being said in it. And the reason that we took offense was because of the way I think it it painted anyone who's not post-millennial as being this sort of Christian pessimist. If you're not post-mill, Doug Wilson says in that trailer, and you're not optimistic about the future. Okay, so there's a big assumption that's being made that if you're not post-mill, then you are a Christian pessimist. Then you're, you can't be optimistic about the future. And the reason that Folks that are post-mill say they are the true Christian optimists as they say, we believe the gospel actually has the power to change the world. We believe the gospel can transform a town, transform a city, transform a culture, transform uh, a government, uh, you know, put, put a Christian prince on the throne, if you will. Whereas it's if you don't believe that, well, then you just think that, you know, they paint it like, well, you just think the church is going to be a mess, and it's, it's, it's disintegrating into faithlessness, and then Jesus comes back and fixes it all. And then there's Dr. Jo- uh, Dr. Joseph Boot in the trailer who said, if you have a negative view of God's work in history, then you're going to have a negative view of like what the gospel can kind of do in culture. I'm not sure that as an amillennialist, I have a negative view of God's work in history. I would argue I have an accurate view, uh, according to the scriptures, of God's work in history. So... I'm not really here to defend the premillennial res- uh, or, or to respond or to even think through what the premillennial response would be to this trailer because I'm not a premillennialist. So I'll leave that to the premillennialist to do. But I'm an amillennialist, meaning that I believe we're living in the millennium now. Okay, so if we go to, to Revelation 20, which let me pull that up here. If we go to Revelation 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit in a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So for an amillennialist, we read that and we go, that's happening right now. And the 1,000 years is just a symbolic number uh, to explain the, that, that this is a very long amount of time from a human perspective that this is going to be going on. And, and this is the way an amillennialist or an idealist would see uh, the book of Revelation. We would see it in seven cycles. And in those seven cycles, we would see all these numbers, all these moving pictures that tell us, with the help of the Old Testament as well as the New, uh, that tell us the way things have been in history, the way things are, and the way things ultimately will be. 
Now, what I reject is the idea that amillennialism and that those who hold to that eschatology are somehow pessimist, that we're Christian pessimists. I, I reject that. Uh, I don't believe that that's true. And I want to give three reasons in this podcast as to why I don't believe that's true. Why I disagree with the assumption that if you're post-mill and you're not optimistic, this, this assumption that if you're, post, if you're not post-mill, uh, then you're not optimistic. I, I want to give you three reasons why, as an amillennialist, I believe I am optimistic and that other amillennialists are optimistic. So here is number one. We believe that Jesus is reigning right now and has been since the ascension. The kingdom has come in Christ. Now, it's not going to be consummated until his return, but the kingdom has come in Christ. And the king has resurrected from the grave after his atoning death. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is ruling and reigning there. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Now, some people that are amillennialists believe that that is referring to Christians who have passed away and are now with Christ in the intermediate state. Others believe this refers to uh, Christians spiritually reigning with Christ as we speak. But either way, amillennialists believe across the board that Jesus is reigning right now and has been since the ascension. I don't believe that that's a pessimistic view of history. I, I don't think that's a pessimistic view of the majesty of Christ. I don't think it's a pessimistic view at, of, of uh, the world and, and, and the church and the work of the gospel and the power of the gospel to resurrect hearts. I, I believe it's incredibly optimistic to say that Jesus is reigning right now and that he has been since the ascension. All right, second reason why I believe that amillennialists are optimistic is that we believe that Satan is bound for a thousand years and he will not halt the gospel's advance. Satan is bound for a thousand years. So going back to Revelation 20 and the first part of it, and he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. So we're not left uh, by, with, uh, by John. We're not left with any guesses here as to who we're talking about. And bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. Why? So that he might not deceive the nations any longer. So there was a time in which the nations lived in abject darkness, right? There was a time in which the gospel, or, or we should say gospel light, uh, the light of God's revelation, was really just revealed to Israel. Uh, I shouldn't say the gospel, because now we're talking about really new covenant revelation, but if we're just talking about the, the old covenant, and we're talking about the light of the law, we're talking about the tabernacle, we're talking about the temple, we're talking about uh, the Ten Commandments, right? So as we're talking about the light of God's revelation in the old covenant, it's really just revealed to Israel and then Gentiles who kind of come around Israel, who are pulled into Israel's orbit. But once Jesus comes, the light of the gospel is revealed to the nations. The light of the gospel we see in the book of Acts is going from Jerusalem into all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Satan cannot stop this. 
he, he has been bound in, in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He has been bound and he will not deceive the nations any longer. He's not going to be able to stop the good news of Jesus Christ from going to every shore. And a multitude will be saved from every shore. There are going to be churches planted on every shore in every people group. That every tribe, every tongue, every language is going to worship. Every tribe, every tongue, every language is going to exalt the risen king. And, and I, again, I don't believe it's just going to be like a few people from each tribe and tongue. I think it's going to be a multitude from each tribe and tongue. Matthew chapter 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So when I go and share the gospel as an amillennialist, it's not just to rescue people from a burning building, but it's to build the temple of God, right? It, it is to build the church. And I understand as a millennialist that the more the church is built with every soul that is saved and with every gospel outpost that is planted, we're getting closer and closer to the end. I don't think that this is pessimistic at all. I think it's an incredibly optimistic view. And I would say that it's a more laser-focused optimistic view of God's work in the world because if you believe that Jesus is going to come back after cultures and governments are Christianized, well, then you have, you have to think that it is the church's mandate to go out and make culture. You have to believe that it is the church's mandate to go out and put the Christian prince on the throne. Whereas I believe the church's mandate is exactly what Jesus said it was and what it is in Matthew 28, right? That we are to make disciples of all nations, that we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we are to teach them everything that Christ taught us. And that as we do this, and as more churches are planted, and as the gospel is spreading throughout the world, and the church becomes truly global, we are getting closer to the end. Now, I think where I'm going to push back even more on what Doug Wilson said is he said, if you look at the church disintegrating into faithless, uh, faithlessness, you think we're right on schedule. Yes, I do believe that in the church there's going to be wheat and tares because Jesus said there would be, right? But I wouldn't say that as an amillennialist, I expect the church to disintegrate into faithlessness, not at all. Now, there's going to be a global apostasy. So when I go to 2 Thessalonians 2, well, first of all, let me go back to, to Revelation 20. Until the thousand years were ended, that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended, that's Revelation 20, verse 3, after that he must be released for a little while. And so at, at the end of this age, at the end of the millennium, if you will, at the end of the millennial reign, at the end of the thousand years where Satan is bound, Satan will be released for a little while. And I think that Paul is talking about this in 2 Thessalonians 2 when he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. 
Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. When I read 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, I actually do believe that there's going to be a final Antichrist who will be a person. Not every amillennialist believes that, but I do believe that. And I believe that he will come during a final apostasy on the earth, and I think it will be a global apostasy because I think we're going to have a global church. But in order to believe in a global apostasy, you have to believe in a global church. And the only way for the church to be global is for the gospel to spread to every nation. And there should be no surprise that there is evil in the world right alongside a global church. Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 13 in the parable of the weeds that there is going to be both wheat, grain, and weeds in the field until the harvest, that this is the way it would be. I've actually got Sam Waldron. we got Sam Waldron on the podcast today. Now, how, how awesome would that be? Uh, Sam Waldron, this is him on the Eschatology Matters podcast. Listen to what he says about the parable of the weeds. Hold on, I'm getting there. The mixture of wheat and weeds till the end. So... Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything uh, about, I don't, I'm not sure where they're going when they say what kind of field is it. It's a field mixed with wheat and weeds. The whole field will be mixed with wheat and weeds. The whole world, which the field is the world, will be mixed with wheat and weeds when Jesus comes back. And that means the gospel is going to be preached effectively throughout the world. Uh, is that going to mean that evil is extirpated? No. A good and evil are going to grow together. And, uh, as evil uh, as good gets better, evil's going to get worse. Uh, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. It's bad enough now, but as 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 good grows, so evil will grow. And it's that it's, it's holding that tension that most eschatologies, premillennialism on the one hand, because of its insistence on a kind of pessimistic viewpoint you know, of this age. And postmillennialism, on the other, because of its uh, rose-colored glasses, optim optimism, on the other hand, simply can't hold together. That's the beauty of our millennialism. We can believe what Jesus says is going to be the case, that both will grow together. Okay, so I think it's really helpful from Sam Aldrin. And what it does, again, is it leaves the church in a position to be laser-focused and say, our mandate is to make disciples. Our mandate is to plant churches. Our mandate is to be a part of God's global disciple-making plan. It's not to make culture. It's not to make thrones. Now, I do believe that we want to speak the culture, right? We don't want to be be pietist, as you may say. We don't want to bury our heads in the sand and navel gaze and only be worried about building, you know, the church, and we're not going to worry about what's going on in the world, and we can just let governments burn. doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. I think that we want to pray for those in high places. I think there's times we want to speak to the magistrate and call on the magistrate to repent 
in order to be able to truly say we love our neighbor. There's times, you know, we want to shape culture as Christians. We want to have influence. There's no doubt about those things, but it's not the mandate of the church to, to make culture. The mandate of the church is to make disciples. And as an optimistic amillennialist, we can just be laser focused about that because our goal is what? A global church. Our goal is to see the gospel reach every shore because we believe once that happens that the end is going to come. So we're building that temple brick by brick, soul by soul, that temple that's talked about in Ezekiel 40 through 48, right? The temple of the living God, the the new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven and that will be on the new earth. We're seeing it built right now before our eyes, person by person, as the good news of Jesus Christ invades souls and and light shines in the darkness and people see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So, number one, Jesus is reigning right now and has been since the ascension. Number two, Satan is bound for a thousand years and will not halt the gospel's advance. And number three, King Jesus will return and vanquish every enemy. Now, I know amillennialists aren't the only ones who believe that. I know that whenever you get a bunch of Christians together and you talk eschatology, that's the thing we're all going to agree on, right? We're going to say, well, well, this is a gospel essential that you believe in a physical return of Jesus Christ, a second coming, and that he is going to vanquish every enemy. No doubt. But don't call us, uh, don't call amillennialists pessimistic if we believe that Jesus is going to return and vanquish every enemy right alongside the post-millennialist. And so when we look at the parable of the weeds and we look at the weeds alongside the wheat, we understand and we believe that Jesus is going to come back and he is going to vanquish those weeds. He's going to uproot them and they will be gone. There will be, uh, they won't have any part on the, the new earth. So when you look at the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22, there are all of these uh, there's all this language that makes it clear that the church has no enemies left, that all of the enemies of the bride, all the enemies of the lamb have been vanquished. Uh, for example, there is no night there. The night is the time in which enemies would invade, but there is no night there. Uh, there is the example of the gates being open, right? Because there is no threat of invasion. The walls of the city are, are thick, There are 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement, Revelation 21, 17 says. Those are some really thick walls, again, showing the security that the people of God have forever. And so all of the enemies of God will be vanquished. So Satan is bound for a thousand years, will not halt the gospel's advance, released for a little while. There's global apostasy. I do believe in a final antichrist. Uh, And then... King Jesus will return. He will vanquish every single enemy, the last of which is going to be death and Hades that's going to be tossed into the lake of fire, uh, into the second death, the lake of fire. Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, thrown into the lake of fire. All enemies gone. I don't think any of this is pessimistic. 
to say that Jesus is reigning right now, that Satan is bound for a thousand years and will not halt the gospel's advance, and that King Jesus will return and vanquish every enemy. I think it's an incredibly optimistic way to, uh, to understand history. And it's not, you know, Waldron talked about rose-colored glasses. It's not putting on rose-colored glasses and just kind of hoping for the best. It's actually just trusting in the word of God and trusting in what it says and then being freed up to be laser-focused on the mandate to make disciples. So those are my thoughts on post-millennialism and amillennialism uh, for today. A little bit of a shorter podcast, going to go ahead and wrap it up. Hope to have some guests on in the weeks to come. Actually, some of my friends have been um, been after me. In fact, uh, I, I want to say Nathan Cecil, Pastor Nathan Cecil from Foxville Road Baptist, I should have had him on to talk about this because he really, he had had the best thought in his reaction to that Honor the Sun trailer. He, he was the one that he was like, it's an over-realized eschatology, post-millennialism. It's, it's wanting what we're going to have in the end, which is not just a Christian prince on the throne. We're going to have the prince on the throne, Jesus Christ. And, and, and the whole culture will indeed be Christian, right? On, on the new earth, it's just going to be the bliss of gospel people living in God's presence forever. It's this over-realized eschatology where you're trying to do that now, and it actually ends up becoming confusing, and it ends up, and when I say confusing, it ends up putting the church in a position where you are trying to do a thousand things at once, and you're not just focused on the mandate given in Matthew 28, but you're also trying to make culture, and you're also trying to put people on, on, on thrones and Christianized towns and cities and governments. And so he's like, it's this over-realized gospel uh, or this over-realized eschatology that actually causes things to get confusing and, and causes things to get muddied up, whereas what a post-millennialist calls a truncated gospel is really not truncated at all. Uh, it's a gospel that believes that that the Lord is is invading the world with his kingdom and that it is spreading throughout the whole world and that the church is spreading out over the whole world. The fence posts of the kingdom are moving outward with each and every gospel outpost that is planted, and then the Lord is going to return and we're able to be laser focused on what we're doing. Nathan was the one who actually brought that idea up. I should have had him on to talk about it, but um, I love that brother and he was really helpful as uh, he, in fact, he's the one I think that sent the trailer. He shared that thought. It got me fired up. And I said, I feel a podcast coming on in the text thread I'm in with him. So anyways, I would love to have Nathan on in the future. I hope to have some other uh, guys on that uh, pastor around here I always assume that people are busy, and I don't want to bother them, but I think that actually they probably have a lot of fun coming on here. So hopefully we can get them on here, have some good conversations, but we do have a couple of guests lined up for the next uh, few weeks, so it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, uh, Christian, how is your soul doing? I hope that you are doing well. I hope that uh, you are walking with the Lord, practicing your spiritual disciplines, staying strong in your church attendance, staying around good Christian brothers and sisters. But if you are not doing well, if your soul is struggling, you need to talk to a pastor about that. 
reach out to us at connect at seafordbaptist.com. How is God's grace at work in your life? Another great question for self-examination. How would you like to see his grace at work in your life? If you consider these things, and again, you want to talk to a pastor, please reach out to us. Looking forward to the podcast in the weeks to come, but until then, keep living the pilgrim life.